Hey, everybody. It's Maris from Zero Waste Trash Talk and Michael Britt. We're talking about coffee today, Michael, our favorite thing. Yes, very much favorite thing. Starts every day. I start every day with coffee. Me too. At least. The ritual. I, I think the average is two cups a day. That's what I do. I think about two in the morning and I'm good to go. But it's definitely a part of my routine that the smell, the sound, the just deliciousness when it hits your lips. Coffee's amazing. Perks you That's up, right. wakes you up, gets you going, tastes delicious. And um, it it's a very uh, close call what climate change is doing and uh, right now and for the next uh, 50 years. We don't know what's going to happen to coffee. Yeah, it's crazy that everybody that insists on their to-go coffee and their disposable cup, single-use cup the whole time, it's like you're, you're probably contributing to the demise of coffee itself by doing that. You know, we're changing the environment and, and the, the the place where you can grow coffee. I don't. I think people think, oh, you can just grow coffee anywhere here in Tennessee. It's like it's a very narrow band across uh, the globe that goes through Central America mm-hmm. and parts of Africa and uh, right. some of Asia. That it's a very small window of area that you can grow coffee, and the that's being th- heated up. Yeah, the top yeah. three. It's uh, I think Brazil, um, Vietnam, and Colombia. And yeah. I watched I watched a couple videos on YouTube about the farming, which there's shade, right? The shade farming, and then the sun, the sun farming. There is Arabica, and the other one is starts with an R. Robusta, something like that. Robusta. Yeah. And I just learned that the robusta is the easier one because it's it needs it's a sun it's a sun grown plant, so it's okay, but. That's the one that we're kind of reverting to now because the shade grown, it can't survive. Basically, they need specific temperature. It needs specific um, rain. And with climate change, what's happening is the farmers, they don't know when the rain's coming and the winds are different and the sun is different and the heat is different. And they're just, uh, they're not able to grow it like they used to. Um, or to profit from it. I mean, you got big, big it. corporations with middlemen that are setting the price for coffee now. That uh, they come in as global buyers and and just do these low dollar amounts that aren't sustainable for coffee plantations. I don't know. Actually, makes me wonder what they're thinking. You know, so that we can have cheap coffee, and uh, it's not going to be very cheap in the future. And it's not cheap when you pay people a living wage. And I think people should. That's sustainable too. Sustainability is more than just yeah. You know the environment. We're all we're all part of the environment, and we yeah. all have to be able to make a living and and produce good work here. You know, on the world, in the world. I mean, to to produce the things that of value. You know, it, we value coffee. A lot of people value coffee. You can't start your day without coffee. So why isn't that important to pay the people well that are doing that? Well, we don't see uh, it. You know, we we actually yeah. we talked to our guest um, Rachel Lehman who started Crema here in Nashville, Tennessee. They're doing some amazing things sustainability-wise, and they're looking at all the parts, um, the working parts of their business. So she started off um, with just sourcing their coffee, but still looking for high-quality coffee and still looking at how it was made, where it was sourced, how, you know, were these people being treated fairly? That's all part of sustainability, where the whole process and everything. And then eventually they're looking into better products and better practices. And she talks about even just treating her employees 
you know, with the utmost respect and um, shocking. How shocking <laughs> is that? You should be the hardcore capitalists and milk milk all those minimum wage employees. Yeah, I mean, quality not quantity. Yeah, there's a true cost for when we talk about this. There's a true cost in the production end and on the disposal end, and Crema is doing taking care of both. And you you pay more for it, but that's what the true cost of coffee should be is is more line in line with what they're charging than what a can of you know questionable coffee at the grocery store is. Uh, you you have to you know you have to pay for, to support the things that you believe in it sometimes costs more and and those of us that can have to do it now until it's affordable that that's that's i think right. one of our messages is ah. that you know we don't expect everybody like if you're barely getting by and don't have a job or or you know lost your job with covid or any of that it's not your responsibility to prop up these businesses and help that's support true. them it's your job to just survive right now Good point. the rest of us if we have the money and, and and we can you know like what was it that uh, that I quoted her from her website that I thought was brilliant I on love there. That it's, line, uh, yeah. it's money is a resource that we strive to use with intelligence and intention. So those of us that have the means can support the things that we want to to thrive. Wow. And we should put our money behind that and have that intention. That's a great message, Michael. I like that. That could be the overall message because. It does make you think back to okay, who's who can do this? Who's able to invest their time and their money and their energy into these things right now to start it off? Because I can't think about my neighbor who has children and and works four or five jobs to put food on the table and can barely do that. That's not her responsibility right now. But yeah. I, a single person that has every, I can definitely go to a local place and buy something with inner reusable, my reusable jars or something like that. That's something that I can aspire to do. And that's going to help push that needle, right, in the right direction. Yeah. Um, I even love just that. Su even just supporting the companies that are doing good right now. Mm -hmm. It's like everybody wants to like, you know, boycott this company and boycott that. I, I actually, you know, I think you should support. I think supporting the companies that are doing the right thing is just as important, if not more important, than boycotting. I, th I think I actually got that opinion when I read uh, Omnivore's Dilemma. Have you read that book? I haven't. Omnivore's it's about Dilemma. the way we eat. Yeah, it's re it's really kind of changes the way you think about how food is produced and the people that produce it and the animals and where everything fits into the cycles. And uh, I mean, at the time, I was striving to be a vegetarian. And then it made me realize, okay, well, if I bought quality meat from local farmers, then that's supporting the people doing good. Now, since then, for you know, it's health, it's health reasons, there's lots of reasons. I'm I'm now you know uh, a little over a year of being a vegetarian, so that that it's it's but it caused me to kind of think about that we need to support people doing good, right? And, yeah, and not just go, oh, eh, I don't want to pay that, you know, extra money for that coffee or whatever. And I'm, you know, I, I'm I'm guilty of that sometimes too. I mean, sometimes things you're like, oh, well, it's too expensive for me. And, or and, I can't make the I, trip out there today, you know, if it's a longer right. distance for you to go get that. I understand. We understand. Yeah, but, you know, when you can, do it. Support support the good and lift them up and support companies like Crema and uh Check out their story and start your own company. That that uh, I mean, they really just bootstrapped this. The two, you know, and did it on their own and don't owe people money and and grew organically and and made all these good choices. So you know, you can find purpose in in your business and in choices that we make. I love that. Well, 
yeah, we talked to Rachel about the, her journey, where you know where it all started, what they're doing now to combat the, all these challenges with COVID and um, not being able to fully be sustainable because of that. But they're doing their best and they're definitely an inspiration. But if you also want to look up more about coffee, it's really interesting. Um, it's really interesting what's going on around the world with coffee and and how, yes, it's really just a small part of the world that creates that is this whole industry. And um, climate change is is something that we're all contributing to, whether it's from the packaging, whether it's from the emissions, driving back and forth and just uh, not being not recycling, not composting. There's all these different things, the mass production of uh of farming instead of these the small farmers that did it so intricately and delicately. So there's a big story behind this, but we take one small story here in Nashville with Rachel Lehman and um, kind of use her story to inspire and, and give people ideas on how to, how to do something themselves. All right, let's go. Let's hear this interview. Zero Waste Trash Talk is now sponsored by Twig. Tennessee Women in Green, a nonprofit that empowers, inspires, and connects women who are committed to environmental sustainability. I personally have learned and gained so much from being a member. And here at Trash Talk, we are honored to have their support. Visit TennesseeWomenInGreen.com or follow them on their socials to register for your first meeting. So, um, uh, Rachel, one of the things that uh, we want to talk about when we started uh, and we started looking around for like-minded people in our community and what businesses are doing what, of, of course, you know, Crema came up that uh, you've been doing this for a long time. And uh, so what, uh, actually, weren't you the first zero waste company in Nashville business? I'm, I'm not exactly sure, um, but I will say that recycling and composting, I mean, we're, we just will be turning 12 years old at the end of this month and recycling Yay. has been, I mean, we did it from, since day one and composting came like within a year. So for us, it's sort of been um, something that we've grown more and more into over the years. Um, and the zero waste thing for us just came about because it wasn't that hard um, when they started actually issuing those kinds of certifications. Um, so we we didn't officially become certified, but we know what defines zero waste. And we've had our, our business audited. Um, and it, I mean, we meet the guidelines. We just didn't pay for the certification. Um, Is that from Metro? Um, so we had like Earth Savers review what we were doing. We've had Compost Nashville review what we were doing. Um, and we had like one of our staff members that has like a sustainability degree kind of look at what we're doing. Um, and so we didn't, I'm trying to remember all that it included becoming certified, but we didn't go down that exact route just for financial reasons. Um, but it was kind of an easy thing for us to to be because we already were doing it. So, yeah. And, and you were composting then before there was a compost pickup service, correct? Well, so years ago, Earth Savers, um, the recycling company offered composting um, and they were picking up compost and delivering it to the facility out in Ashland City. 
um, that was operating. And then it was kind of a strange situation, but I believe that facility got shut down for a couple of reasons um, a few years after that. And then Compost Nashville kind of stepped in to fill the gap for us at that point. And they were super tiny at the time. I mean, they didn't have a company yet. They were just basically picking up compost and delivering it to farmers um, and kind of composting at a farm. And then they kind of, and of course they grew over time. Um, but I met uh, Matthew Beadle like years ago <laughs> before Compost Nashville was like, a, like what it is now. Um, but it was great because he was super helpful because our whole systems was set up on compo composting. And then when that facility was shut down, we really didn't know what to do because here we were with this whole system in place as a company, and then we had nowhere to take our compost. Um, and so Compost Nashville, of course, has grown over years and we've been using Compost Nashville um, for many years, well, since the beginning for composting. And then we've used Earth Savers um, since we opened for recycling because recycling isn't offered, um, where we're at downtown, we don't really fit into the downtown core recycling pickup. So we were like, well, we have to pay for, it's kind of like you either pay for trash or you pay for recycling. What would you prefer? And so we were like, I was like, I think we can just pay for recycling and then, really just maybe fill a 96 gallon bin of trash a week. I mean, we don't really even fill one, but just that was sort of the, um, from the beginning, it was like, okay, we have to do something with our trash. <laughs> I, I think a lot of people don't realize that like you, you do have to pay to have your recycling compost mm -hmm. hauled off, but you pay less for your trash and you start having less trash. Mm -hmm. And it, it, if, if it doesn't even out, it definitely helps make those decisions. Yeah. 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 And if I remember correctly, I think it was cheaper to recycle than it was to get a dumpster pickup, oh, wow. you know? And so it's, it's kind of like as a company, you just have to decide like, okay, you know, you have to pay for waste, um, but how you pay and what kind of services you're paying for is your choice, I guess. So, yeah. Well, well we love compost Nashville and uh, earth savers as uh, oh not earth savers i'm sorry yeah earth savers mm -hmm. yeah and earth savers. they were they were at our one of our uh, meetings right yep yeah we Bobby had Mandy. we had a couple Bobby. of live mm -hmm. events yeah mm -hmm. we had a couple of live events i almost started for working for him oh yeah <laughs> awesome. I mean, who knows maybe i still will who knows yeah. but um <laughs> we actually and, had our first meeting at crema on oh, in really? yeah we yeah. did we, and i was so impressed with the the metal straws and the divisions for the, the recycling and the composting i was just i was really impressed and i, I thought that was really cool maybe yeah and bobby took me there asked me if i wanted to meet there specifically Aww. so yeah. yeah, he's been. We've supported him. He supported us. It's been a a, a journey. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, <laughs> and Compost Nashville has been. Uh, they've been one of our supporters. Mm -hmm. They've been running ads and helping us get this going on our podcast. So uh, awesome. We appreciate Beetle and everything that they do. Yeah, so, yeah, they're great. So uh, yeah, I mean, I, I I appreciate that as a business you ran the numbers, but you also had your priorities. That's that's the thing I think a lot of people don't understand. They think, oh, that just costs more. It's like, we're not going to do it, but there's a cost. There's a real, mm -hmm. a true cost to everything. Like, you know, like coffee, mm -hmm. there's a, there's a true cost to coffee production mm -hmm. that, that isn't what you pay when you go to the grocery store and buy Folgers or whatever. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and, and I think people don't, uh, uh, they don't always, uh, think about, they think their pocketbooks only and don't think the overall health of the environment and the economy and all of that. And, uh, mm -hmm. so thank you for thinking Rachel, about all of that. Where yeah. are you from Absolutely. originally and how'd you yeah. get it into coffee? 
<laughs> I'm from a very small rural town called Sandwich, Illinois. Yes, Ooh. it's called Sandwich. <laughs> and you didn't go into the sandwich business? Yeah. Sorry, <laughs> right, that was morning. Um, yeah, so I grew up in an agricultural family. My family does... Um, Big ag, not proud of that, but that's just where I'm from. My uh, big ag, big agriculture, big ag. Oh, big ag. Yeah, oh. like my dad's family farmed. My dad um, got out of farming when I was a child. I sold our family farm because he saw the way agriculture was going. My dad is a mechanic for John Deere, so I grew up around agriculture. Um, yeah, I worked on horse farms, like very small small town of 5,000 people. It's so we're like 60 miles west of Chicago. Um, I got my first, I always worked in hospitality. It was just kind of the only jobs available in our small town. Um, and then I, I had gotten my first real coffee job in college out in uh, Lakewood, Colorado. It was a little roasting company called Village Roaster. They had roasted coffee since the 70s. They sold tea, spices, coffee. Um, and the owners there is a small, small company um, for the time, <laughs> uh, which would have been, I was in college in uh, 2000 to out there from 2000 to 2003, I did one year in Illinois. Um, and they just, I don't know, they were a great little company to work for and they emphasized um, at the time quality coffee. And um, I just loved their business model. They took care of us as employees. Um, and they were just really kind people and took care of the community that surrounded them. Um, and then when I moved here to Nashville, I moved here in 2003. Um, I just worked for a gentleman uh, that had a coffee company. Well, it's called Sam and Zoe's <laughs> over in Barry yeah. Hill. I worked mm -hmm. for Doug Haverin, Doug, who owns Gabby's Burgers and Fries now. I worked for Doug for about five years and I really did just fall in love with um, the, all the community aspects of coffee, but also the fact that there was never, um, there was always more to learn and ways to improve on growing a business. Um, and I just love working with people. I'm a people person. So, um, and, and when it was time for me, I felt like I needed to, to move into my own thing. I wanted to really focus on high quality coffee. I knew I eventually wanted to start roasting. We didn't roast for the first three years we were open. Um, but yeah, we opened Crema. And at the time it was uh, pretty territorial around coffee in Nashville. So I was like, I want to be on my island and not, I don't want to build in anyone's backyard because I know everybody in coffee. Um, and so <laughs> that's par part of the reason we're in the location that we are downtown um, off Hermitage. It's sort of a no man's land at the time when we opened here. Um, but over the years, my love for coffee has grown. It's changed. I, you know, we went from uh, buying multiple roasting roasters, you know, shipping in way too much coffee to where that was just getting cost prohibitive to, okay, we want to roast our own. We want to curate the coffees we buy. We want control over who we buy coffee from, how we pay for it, um, where it's coming from. Um, and then over the years, um, yeah, like my, our roaster Winston's been with us 10 years. Um, 
He became a quality grader for the Coffee Quality Institute, and then he encouraged me to become one. So we're the only two certified Q graders in Tennessee. Um, and it's great because we can cup and grade coffees for coffee producers. Um, the system is set up to um, overall see uh, producers continually grow in their efforts to grow better coffee. So it brings together like uh, the consuming countries like us with the producing countries that we buy our coffees from. So it's a more global look at our job and our work. And so it's just for me been an evolution. Every year it's just something new. Um, Wow. And that's how, yeah, I mean, it's all, and then we're still there. We're still just continually, we're trying, we're still small. Um, we're a small bootstrap company. My husband and I started, um, but as we grow, we try to reinvest in our people and our businesses we can. So that's a bit about me and Crema. <laughs> I like I like um, when you're talking about, you know, uh, on your website, you have an article talking about your sustainability and you, mm -hmm. you say that money is a resource that we strive to use with intelligence and intention. Mm -hmm. and, it, and from everything you're saying, it definitely reinforces that. I went down the list of the things you guys do, you know, for your employees, if mm -hmm. they walk and bike to work, you support that. And uh, you have an electric vehicle for delivering. Mm -hmm. that, you do all these things that cost money and that take uh, energy and effort, but you're using that money intelligently. And I think you're, I think that whoever wrote that statement, it was right on. If you wrote that, I like that. It wasn't that's, me, but yes, that's, <laughs> that's our, uh, I guess that's how I was raised, but that's just like how my husband and I were just, yeah, we, um, we didn't people over profits for us. And I mean, we just want to grow as sustainably as we can, but also invest in our, in our people. So. And, yeah. and did that, yeah. that first job in that little coffee shop mm -hmm. that you were talking yeah. about, it's like those that influenced you, correct? Mm -hmm. As you went forward in life, mm -hmm. we we're constantly looking for some days, Maris and I were having these conversations. We're like, are we talking to the wall? What, what is this? Who's, is this doing any good? Are we, you know, mm -hmm. just the crazy wackos digging through trash bins and trying to, make the world better and nothing's changing but i think it's like those stories all it takes is that someone inspired you if we can inspire mm -hmm. someone to go and do that that that's i think that's yeah, the important that, part yeah that's my favorite part of the story too it's just where you started you know you did come mm -hmm. from a family that was kind of already immersed in that lifestyle of you see things grown in front of you mm -hmm. which is not something that children have not something that many people have mm -hmm. seeing where things actually come from and mm -hmm. the story of coffee mm -hmm. is based on these small farming areas in south america mm -hmm. and that's that was where it came from it needed the production went super skyrocket high that we had to, that all the governments came in and said okay well we need this coffee so we're going to start putting money into it and then they ended up buying it all out and now it's these high production giant you know areas that booted all the small farmers out and they can't survive they can't make coffee out there anymore and with climate change you know, there's less and less land, it's hotter. And that's something that's really interesting to Michael and I, because uh, we both, for one, do drink a lot of coffee. Mm -hmm. And besides the packaging, besides the recycling, these lands in other countries are just being destroyed by, by the sun and by us. Um, but your story goes back to the roots, goes back to a small place where everybody's doing it themselves. And that that's the beauty of uh, of just 
farming and agriculture and where it all started and how do we get back to that yeah how do it's we small. respect the land and the people it came from and yeah and it's it's local mm -hmm. businesses like yours and i think this podcast we wanted to talk about things like this but also um encourage people to to shop locally to really put the effort into researching what they're buying where it comes from it's so it sounds like a lot of work at first but just hearing your story is really nice it's comforting to us because it's doable people you can do it the american dream was based off of small dreams it was based off of dreams right here mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's just lots of small choices. It's like it's at a point in juncture, you have to make a choice, for example, like what coffee lid am I going to buy for this 12 ounce paper cup? Like, or, you know, what, what product line am I going to get this from? Or what, you know, bakery am I going to buy my croissants from or my milk, my dairy? Like, you know, do I want to go with Dean's or do I want to use, we use Tennessee Real, which is in Orlinda, Tennessee, about 45 minutes north of town. We visit Randy and he's great. <laughs> um, so just knowing the people we work with and all those small choices, they just all they all add up <laughs> yeah, personal whole, relationships mm -hmm. yeah. yeah the city nashville is very much you know there's the whole farm to table movement and everything and it's, it's interesting to take it even further it's like your farm to table and then to how it's disposed of and or reused and i think that's the step that a lot of people haven't tuned into as much and uh We'd like to see that happen more. Even composting at restaurants, like a lot of them, some of them offer compostable containers, but then they're not composting. So it's, you're yeah. just creating expensive trash is what we call it. Um, I wonder, we wonder if that's a, a disconnect, like people just don't understand that or they're just deliberately like, well, we got the compostable products. Maybe people aren't going to ask any questions about it. Like that's the, yeah. that's a common thought. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's compostable. So it's going to disintegrate faster in the landfill. No. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it has to go to a compost facility. <laughs> it's really gonna work that way. I know it's it is what a it's a hard conundrum because um, <laughs> in our culture, our customers love paper products, and we, of course, as a first line effort as a company, try to reduce the amount of products we use. So it's like, do you need a paper bag for that one bag of coffee you're gonna walk to your car with? Probably not. Um, <laughs> or do you need to drink that coffee out of a paper cup instead of ceramic? I mean, we've got a, uh, we've got a commercial grade dishwasher we bought that specifically only uses two and a half gallons per load to wash a load of dishes. Well, it's like, you know, we try to encourage ceramics and, you know, when people are eating for here. Now I know it's a pandemic right now and we're only doing curbside and that's a whole separate topic that has been very stressful. <laughs> Um, but, yeah. uh, when our normal efforts are going on, um, that is our first line. You know, I talk with our staff about that is reduction of waste at every level. And that is the hardest thing with the consumer that I find, uh, frustrating because I do have a very high percentage of people that always ask for things and to go, even though it's for here. <laughs> um, and that that's hard. I mean, cause you know, the customer is right and can request what they want in this world that we live in. Um, and so <laughs> it's a difficult, uh, we always encourage it, but at times we, people will still get, it's amazing to me when I dig through our compost, at the end of the day, I'm like, man, all of this stuff could have been 
like we didn't even need it um unfortunately um is there i, I is love there, that you're digging through compost like uh, we, are. we have to yeah <laughs> we have to pick through our compost and our uh and our um recycling we actually train our staff right. on how to because we know that contamination is a huge problem for both um industries yeah is there a rule with the covid stuff right now um that you have to abide by with like reusables or anything like if somebody comes in and wants to use a reusable cup is there any kind of mandate that says you that they can't use that right now or well, what's the deal in general um always whether covid or not we have to technically wash rinse and sanitize to a health department standard anything that's used so if someone does bring in a reusable cup um even if it is something from their home that appears to be washed. Technically, we are supposed to wash, rinse, and sanitize it for the guest because we could technically be liable if something was contaminated. Um, but that's something that we do for people when they do come in with reusable cups. We encourage reusable cups. We give discounts on reusable cups. Um, right now, we are, we are operating as a curbside-only cafe, which is been a very difficult decision but one we had to make um for many reasons which i don't need to get into um but unfortunately right now everything we're serving is is to go and it is one of those things during a pandemic that i have really struggled with um but my staff's health and risk um and the issues we were facing when we were letting people in our building at the beginning of this is not worth it to me right now to to risk their health for um but every product that we do send out the door is compostable but again it is a commercially composted product most of it like the compostable plastics and straws and lids um and those are the things we encourage our customers to do um but of course yeah it's hard to know i mean of course reduction is the first line of defense in a normal situation so yeah and this is far from normal that's for sure yeah. and and i think but but i think the only light at the end of the tunnel for right now is that everyone's having to deal with their takeaway their plastic their paper and it's kind of freaking everybody out wanting to make a change as we move forward mm -hmm. and uh, i think it's going to help cause some energy behind the movement and, and help people understand it a little more because they've seen mm -hmm. masks on the street and the to-go containers and mm -hmm. it's just all piling up and i think people are suddenly aware of it mm -hmm. that um that it's a problem mm -hmm. I, I have an idea for uh, once things get back together again <laughs> I've, I've been wanting to put this out there somewhere mm -hmm. i always have lots of ideas you could ask maris uh you know how it, uh, well, specifically, I know Jackalope, you know, they're friends of ours. We held meetings there. Mm -hmm. They uh, they have the rinser for their glasses. Like they turn them upside down over this little spigot and it rinses the glasses out, I guess, to remove a soapy residue or something in case it's there. But I, I always think there should be like a little, a small little enclosure. Here's my hand so you can see it. Small, <laughs> where's the camera? Okay. A small little <laughs> enclosure where you come up, you put your cup in it and push the button and it sanitizes that cup. <laughs> It and and you guys can take it and go. Seems like somebody should invent a little single wash, UV light, something. For, <laughs> giving you the idea. So whoever's yeah. listening and can do, has means to do it, please, you can take it, take it and run with it. Yeah, 
I think it's just a mentality of, I think we don't think about our trash and this is where it is a little frustrating for me personally, because it's like you and I, we all probably, I mean, I pay for Compost Nashville to come to my house. And by by doing that, I mean, my personal trash is re reduced. And it it's as companies, yes, we can do our best, but then we're also hoping our consumers are doing their best as well. And, and it, it's... I wonder if you could put like a little message or something on like a receipt or something like composting is from the earth to the earth. Like, I wonder if there's like some clever way that you can market um, Compost Nashville yeah. with your product. You know? And I know when we are open for business, normally we do have like our sign with zero waste and compost. And we actually have like a diagram with Compost Nashville that they give us every year that shows how much is diverted. And that, and then also we physically just took the trash can away <laughs> and then yeah. we took a trash can away in our bathrooms and in our, um, dining areas. And that really weirds people out. Um, you know, cause then they'll bring in all their trash from their cars and they're just like, ah, and I'm like, and, and it's interesting because it always causes a little bit of a kerfluffle where I have to be like, just give that to me and I will thumb through it and figure out where it all goes. Or, you know, I have to, you know, decline or be like, Hey, like kind of just say like, we don't have trash out there, but, um, you know, you can put it in our, you know, bus tubs and we'll take care of it. And our staff will, will go through it. And, you know, if it's that wow. shit bag from the gas station goes in the trash, if it's that, so if it's that, like, you know, it, we try to recycle as much as we can of even their stuff if they don't, but a lot of, but I mean, I, that's why we do have to pick through, we call it picking through our customer trash and compost. We do it every day because especially the compost we know can't be contaminated, but also the recycling too. I mean, with food scraps and we know what will happen that it will just go in the trash can if it's not acceptable recycling material. So, um, we try to encourage our team really to be super picky about, you know, sorting. So we talk about that all the time because that's, uh, it's, we always say no one is sorting your trash, no one's sorting your recyclables. Most places, don't have they're not going to this effort so when you look in the bin and you see all the contamination you can just know that's going straight to the trash no one's sorting that at waste management they're not taking that and cutting open plastic bags and sorting your recyclables it really has to be done on site and you, know, you got you have created a culture where you guys do that but very few people do that yeah and, and yeah i i commend that we're for, as people who dig through trash <laughs> and hold each other's ankles over dumpsters. It's a regular thing. It's a regular thing yeah. for us. I have to do it. I think when you're learning and teaching, right? Because I have a roommate that she didn't know very much about recycling and composting before she moved in with me. Mm -hmm. And still to this day, she'll go and turn to me and say, hey, what about this? Where does this go? And I'm mm -hmm. like, and sometimes I'll have to go in after a couple, like a week or something, a couple of days and look in mm -hmm. there and see what kind of, what kind of stuff she threw into the dry compost box or there was the aluminum and plastic bin, but it's a, it's a learning process mm -hmm. and it's patience, which you definitely have and teaching your entire staff your values and aligning them and, and giving them that knowledge so that they can take that knowledge and do it at their homes and someone their roommates and it's the trickle effect there but because we've seen with that someone. 
We've seen mm-hmm. that, right? Maris Maris went to talk to everybody at Hunter Station. Everybody works at all the different places because they didn't understand the recycling there. So how are the customers going to understand it? They were brand new at that time. Yeah. Michael and I and our friend Brandy went from Tennessee Environmental Council. We went over there to just kind of see what they were doing. We heard really great reviews about their composting products and how everybody inside all the different restaurants were required to have composting and they were using different receptacles for divisions. And when we went in there and talked, <laughs> to everybody it was it was kind of ironic because no one most of them did not know that they even had compostable products mm. some and, didn't know what compostable was right and like, yeah. the corn-based plastic resembling compost uh compostable cups that look like plastic were being thrown out into the plastic recycling which mm. aren't even recyclable they're not recyclable anyway. yeah so there was Maris, a whole disconnect yeah. there. Yeah. Brandy and I, Brandy and I were like, "Oh my god, this is terrible." And Maris is like, "I'm going to talk to everybody here," and she goes and talks <laughs> to everybody that worked at every single stall to let them know. And then you, she went back and wrote little notes, right, and left them on, on the napkins, recycling station. Because I went, I went back to eat something, <laughs> and I just, I kept seeing everyone taking the plastic cups and throwing it into the into the wrong bin, and mm-hmm. I was just like. Is, is anyone telling people what is going on here? So I just wrote, these are not plastic or whatever I wrote and put it next there. And a a, a janitor, a a woman came out and held up the napkin of one of the the companies there or businesses there. I was like, did y'all write this? And I just stood up. I was like, it was me, it was me. She's like, this is really smart because I can't. And then I told her about it, about how all the contamination was actually going to not none of the things there should would probably be recycled because of it and she was shocked and i think this disconnect i mean as we're grow as we're seeing the trash grow mm-hmm. from our own individual perspectives at home while we're going out and getting food and bringing it home and it's growing in our trash bins i think what michael said is true people are starting to realize that this really is a problem it's you have to see it there's not a connection with americans because we're it's built in hey give me the pill give me the the remedy give me the click give me the send it to me you know it's it's never we don't see it grown we don't see the process of it we don't see where it goes and therefore we're all just kind of living in this world of darkness and i'm i'm really looking forward to see the what happens with this new administration and and how we're going to change things on the federal level because you're already doing the things that should be law you know rachel like it should be it should be law that we have to research these things and 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 get recycling and composting it should if you're going to start a business and you're going to create waste you're going to need to know where where it's going to go so that we can keep doing it otherwise it's not sustainable yeah at the very least there needs to be financial support for businesses making these decisions because it's it's yes. doing good. And speaking of decisions, I want to get too off track because the, one of the main reasons that, I mean, we've been wanting to talk to you, but the reason that we said, hey, come on and talk to us was you have these new compostable uh, coffee bags for buying yeah. whole roasted coffee beans. Can you want to talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah. It's taken four <laughs> or five years to get here. Um, <laughs> I remember I was a, as a Q grader, they had us, uh, PBI where we get the, bo- or the bags, they've changed their name now. Um, shoot, they're called Tricor Bronflex now. Sorry. I had to think about it. Um, four or five years ago, they had these, um, sample bags that, you know, we require certain things. So air doesn't escape or like 
air, air can escape but not get in to coffee bags for um, shelf life and for stability of keeping the coffee fresh. Um, and so Winston and I had to participate in this compostable bag, um, like, oh, I'm trying to think of the best word. Like, how, how well did the coffee age in these compostable bags versus a, a traditional bag that's like a foil-lined plastic bag? Um, and so we, I mean, that was four years ago. We curated coffee for over a year in these compostable bags. Um, and we found that they declined um, pretty quick after six months, quicker than maybe traditional bags. But I mean, our product hopefully is gonna be used within the first month of when it's roasted. Um, so I, we were part of the um, team that kind of helped you know, give feedback about how well these bags were performing versus traditional uh, bags that are used by roasters with one-way valves. Um, and then we, so we did all that, we submitted those results for a while, and then we kind of heard nothing for a while. <laughs> um, but we finally, it took a, like a while to get them designed and customized, and then almost six months just to even get them printed. So even by the time we put them out, I was like, oh, finally, we're doing this. It's been like four years in the process. Um, and I know that they ran into a lot of issues with certifications um, for these bags. And even for us, we cannot fully say that they are 100% compostable because certain parts do have to be cut out. Now, certain parts of the bag are made from corn-based products, but don't break down in the time frame that is acceptable for the um, compostable certification. So it's not a perfect solution but it's the next best thing that we have. Um, there are various reasons why we haven't gone with just like a fully compostable craft bag that's paper, and that has to do with just keeping our product, um, it, they just don't seal well. And so um, I know that that is a huge issue that they are currently working on, and hopefully the next iteration will be even more improved than what we have. Um, but, you know, we've, done some experiments with the bags ourselves. We've cut the, cut the valve out. Um, and it, we put all this information, it's up on our website with all the specifics of the bag. I, for me, it, it felt like there was so much kind of back and forth because we were first told these were going to be fully compostable when we signed up for this to like try these out and get this product rolled out. And then it was like, well, we're running into all these issues with the certifications. And so, um, at the time, it, it you know it's it was the best thing, and it took a year from the time it was designed to the time we got it. Took over a year to get them, but I'm hoping the next iteration with the next generation of these bags will be even more improved because I do know that that is something that they are working on. Um, but yeah, we love the idea of, you know, I mean, they're much better than our old bags, which were traditional foil line plastic, where you just you throw it in the trash and. I don't know how long it would take for that to decompose versus what we have now. Um, at least it will, supposedly all parts will decompose within seven to 10 years. And that's mostly the valve that they're talking about that's just taking longer to break down. 
Yes. And well, so, and you have the benefit of being made from non-petroleum products. Correct. Right? It's, mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's, you're not digging something out of the ground and creating mm-hmm. that pollution. And then, uh, so what, so if you just cut the, the top and the, with the valve on it off, then the rest of the bag is. Yeah. Is, so the little, there's like a little strip where they seal that is actually, um, supposed to go in the trash and then the little valve part, if you cut that out, the rest should compost in your compost bin. Um, I'm very trying to be very careful how I talk about it because it's still not a hundred percent a fully compostable product, but it's definitely, yeah, we're getting there and it's improving. And, and you all are right. I mean, packaging is like just with food is just such a conundrum um these days like, i mean what do we do like yeah. what do we do before this you know, like, know. <laughs> we're, know. Things we're produced locally and not at big yeah. factories and shipped across the world yeah. uh, and but, also but I, and also like we're we have to def- we have to be regulated by the department of agriculture too and so there are for food and safety there is guidelines we have to follow when we package things and send them out um but one other thing we did which is I, uh, in our effort to get rid of foil lined plastic bags is like all our wholesale accounts, at, at least that are local, we have encouraged everyone to switch from foil bags to reusable bins. So we use bins for all of our coffee that's going around. So like restaurants and different coffee shops and wholesale accounts that are in town. Um, we highly encourage everyone to choose that option. Um, and most, I mean, I would say 90, 90 to 95% of our local customers, that is what they do. So that's really encouraging because we can just rewash those bins and just use them. So we just bought a bunch of bins and that's how we like ship that coffee around town. That's awesome. Cool. I, I love that. And you guys opened a, uh, in our neighborhood, you opened a, uh, in East Nashville, a uh, roasting facility, mm-hmm. correct? Yeah. At some point, uh, and I think when I was emailing uh, somebody at your company earlier that I'd ask early on about uh, individuals taking a bulk coffee home, and that will be an option when things get back to normal, correct? Uh, yeah. I mean, again, we would love to do that. Uh, again, we're beholden to the has to be in a, like a container that we can certify has been sanitized. But, um, but yeah, that's something that we would like to be able to offer for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I buy, uh, if I go to Turnip Truck, and I, I was trying to buy bulk there, but as again, this setting, how long has it been sitting there? You know, it, it would seem hit or miss to me whether the coffee tasted as fresh as it needed to be from those bulk bins. So I went back to buying bags and throwing them away, knowing that was I was making that choice. You know, sometimes living in modern society, we have to make choices, right? You know, that's what we we're, we're going to have some upcoming episodes about how flight shaming is wrong and all that kind of stuff, because we all we don't have choices like here in America. We can't get on a high speed rail and go somewhere. We have to fly and you go to the grocery store. You have to buy things in plastic. So shaming people for doing that is not what we're about. We're about trying to find good solutions. And I love that you guys are shipping in reusable containers uh, to, to local businesses. And it'll be great once we're able to do that as individuals or, you know, our, our audience, you know, the zero waste Nashville Facebook group, uh, which I don't know if you remember, you know, check that out. If you're not, that's where all of us kind of congregate. They, uh, we, we will cut the stuff off and compost properly. You know, this is a group that you can say, do this and we'll do it. And it's not, we're not looking for the most frictionless 
way to compost like most people. So you can count on all of us to do that when we buy your coffee. And yeah. until the bags become 100% compostable, that's great. We actually talked to Clay Zell from Compost Company about the strategy of doing that. And uh, he thought that they would, it would be fine to put those in compost if we did, you know, cut the, cut the valves and everything off. So, um, you know, from the public perspective, do you want everyone to just throw them away with the valves and prop? You know, I don't know. You know, maybe, maybe not. So, but our listeners will do it. We'll do it. Well, either way, I know that our listeners are excited and happy that you're doing your part to make sure that sustainability, you know, it keeps going with the coffee industry because it's it's not looking good. It's not looking good for coffee. And uh, from what I know, you know, if we keep going at this rate, um, I think the statistic was, yeah, in 2050, um, that the land that's producing coffee will be uh, minimized by at least 50%. So it's getting, it's getting rough out there and we don't see it and we don't hear about it every day. So this is going to be a nice glimpse into the world of coffee for those who love to drink it. And if you haven't been to Crema, make sure that you stop by and uh, see what they're doing because they're doing good stuff, obviously. Thanks. <laughs> All right. Appreciate you coming on the show today, Rachel, yeah. taking time out of your day. Yeah. Um, keep, keep fighting the good fight. Thanks. And hopefully we can we can regroup again in yeah. the future when things are a little different with the whole COVID scene and uh, just in our country in general. Yeah. Uh -huh. It's been <laughs> uh, things calm down a little bit. Been a wild. Uh, it's been a wild year. I don't even. Yeah. <laughs> we have a hard time. We can't even do our first podcast. We we've tried it twice already. Like, what do we talk about as the world is deteriorating, and what are we talking about? Mm -hmm. Zero waste and stuff when mm -hmm. the the government's falling around our ears and people are willing to put children in concentration camps and at the border and you know it's like <laughs> we're having a, we're having a hard time staying focused a, a lot of times but i think that talking about it is important and 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 sharing our experiences we get to, we get to feed off of the positive things going on that's why we love doing this podcast that's why i love doing the podcast michael and i had to get on and try and regroup after this year ended and i think it was hard for us because to be inspired is to hear stories like yours and that's what keeps us going that's what that's what makes it worth it so again hats off to you we Thank really you. respect you and what you've done these last 12 years so just keep going. And Crema, um, Crema is on the top of our list. So I, I got to get back in there and, and get my own coffee now. Yeah, that's yeah. great. Well, good luck to you all with this podcast. It's really Thanks. exciting. I've, I'm, I'm excited to see people locally um, taking on these ideas and having more conversation because sometimes it, I have to be honest and say that I felt alone in it a lot of times. I mean, I've, yeah. um, and so it's, it's great to know, like there's a movement and that people are becoming more aware and, and I'm glad you're doing audits on like all of us industries that really could use some outside perspective. So, yeah, I mean, that, that's actually one of the things that, you know, when we started first having meetings, we want everyone to know you're not the weirdo that's alone. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, we all, it's like, you feel like even just with the, in this, in this city, you feel like mm -hmm. self-conscious at Kroger when the people look at you weird because you're slowing them down by bringing your own, own bags. bags like, <laughs> you're, you're, not, you're not weird. This is the normal. And, and, and at yeah. least we can connect to our, our community like this. And yeah. have a conversation. Mm -hmm. yeah. I, I mm -hmm. think those moments where people are just, you know, staring at you or it's 
takes a little bit longer to go through the process that's the right process, have a conversation. I always try to just put a smile on and, hey, how's your day? Like, I'm, you know, and I'm, I'm already putting groceries in my bag with them, you know, like it's, it's more, uh, more time to interact with one another, which again, it's just a weird time. We're not supposed to even be like touching each other or, or talking to it. People don't want to talk to each other because they're picking they, up trash. Yeah. <laughs> right. Or picking yeah. up trash. I, I qu had to quit pick, uh, early on. I, I normally True. pick up trash as I'm hiking my dogs and I picked mm -hmm. up, a, just subconsciously mm -hmm. picked up a drink can and stuck my finger in the mouth hole of the drink can. I was like, um, I can't be picking up trash during COVID. Uh, I just can't do it. I did on New Year's day. I did on New Year's day. I got so tired. I was like, I'm just going and doing it. But yeah, it has prevented a lot of things. It's prevented a lot of good work, but um, we will persevere. Yeah, definitely. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you thank all you so much. Thank you very much for your time. Yeah, of course.